This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as the mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay, over to you, Gita. Thank okay. you. So, um, I'm going to talk today about aspects of Metta uh, and the Metta Sutta and next time follow on with more emphasis on the Metta meditation practice itself. Um, I'll share the screen. Um, I apologize for a crowded screen probably but uh, others I'm going to forget half of what I want to talk about so I'm just going to share the screen. Is that okay?
Is that all right, Chris? It's all good, Peter. Okay, thanks. So let's start with what is metta? Now, metta is a Pali word, uh, and it's derived from the word mitta, which means friend. Um, but loving kindness is the usual translation which sort of has gained traction. Um, some people have questioned this, including more recently Tanisa Rubiku, and I'll go into that a bit. Um, I think it's a bit like the word dukkha, these Pali words, it, it is very difficult to get an accurate translation in English. So we have to make do, try to capture the meaning somehow. So basically, metta is a state of mind that encompasses feelings of friendliness, goodwill, benevolence to all beings without discrimination, unbounded, infinite. So usually when we talk of love, uh, it involves an emotional state which has quite often sensual desire within it or attachment to close ties of family, friends, so on. So it may have the guise of metta, but in the teachings it's referred to as the near enemy because it's not metta, but it seems that way. And then those who are not in that little circle, uh, we tend to regard them with either indifference or ill will or something in between. So that ill will is considered and described as the far enemy of metta, the opposite of metta. Um, now, metta uh, is probably, I think, better thought of as an attitude of goodwill. Because goodwill is easy to understand and it captures the meaning. It's not love, it's not kindness, it's goodwill to all beings. Um, however, goodwill is to be cultivated within. We can radiate it to others and certainly in the practice of developing goodwill, we use others as our object to base this cultivation of goodwill. But I think often people mistake it as if we are generating and radiating this goodwill outwards. No, it starts as a development of goodwill within. And of course, we can radiate it to others, we can wish others well, but the reality is that true ha happiness is something that each one of us ultimately will have to develop and find within ourselves. In a way, goodwill is best also regarded as, I think you remember Catherine talking about the three poisons. And the second of those was ill will, greed, ill will, and ignorance. This metta is the antidote, is the opposite of that poison. So it's, it is clearly a very basic fundamental thing that we have to cultivate in this path. So um, now metta is mentioned in the teachings in a variety of places. And I've picked out four. Um, one is the perfections or the paramis, 
There are 10 paramis, perfections, which are noble qualities, and metta is one of them. And the point is that if you aspire to be enlightened, you have to develop the perfections to some extent. Um, but if you want to be aspire to be a Buddha, it has to be perfected, this quality. So uh, the paramis are mentioned, and obviously we all have to cultivate the 10 paramis to whatever extent we can, including the metta. Then the Noble Eightfold Path, which we are all familiar with. And if you think back to the Eightfold Path, you remember that the second of the path after right view is right intention. And right intention has three components. Renunciation, intention to renunciation, to metta, and to karuna, compassion. So those two, the metta and the karuna, is to offset that ill will component of the hindrances. So once again, this it's a it has a very important place. Then this is another one we come across quite a lot: the teachings on Brahma Viharas, the four divine abidings. So Brahma is considered a divine realm of existence and those in that realm of existence have these qualities as part of their character part of their being and the these brahma viharas are known as the four immeasurables the, and the four sublime states which are experienced by those in those divine realms However, they can be experienced right here and now if we develop those four uh, in our practice, those four qualities. So those, the four Brahma Viharas are metta, and that is the first one and the foundation for the building of all the other three metta, uh, Brahma Viharas as well. So there's loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So um, metta is the starting point for all of those four uh, immeasurable qualities. Um, now, the thing about these uh, Brahma Viharas, there are, the Buddha recommends these four as suitable meditation subjects for the development of samadhi, particularly for the development of jhana states. And if absorptions are developed, metta becomes sort of an integral part of your character. So that's another benefit of those who practice for developing the jhana states. But even if we don't go there, he says in uh, in the Anguttara Nikaya somewhere, that even if you practice this pure metta for one second, or the time it takes to milk the udder of a cow, just one squirt, that is abundant merit for the now, for this life, and for future lives. So you can see how important metta is when it is fully developed, the value of this. Um, 
unfortunately, you know, I, I've been a really late developer into this metta. I, I never quite got it. The reason why it's so valuable, I somehow, it just escaped me till the last probably couple of years. And now I can see why some people kind of talk so much about metta, because it does, even with a little bit of practice, you start to see this something changing. So I'm kind of a new convert, I'd say. Um, so uh, let me now talk about the story of how the Metta Sutta, which is the next sutta that I was going to touch on, um, which is, of course, largely about Metta. Now, according to Sutta Nipata commentary, the background story is that a group of monks, it says in the commentary, 500 monks, well, I think it just means a lot of monks, wanted to be given a direction for a residence in for their rains retreat. And the Buddha sent them to this particular region where there was a forest for the monks to reside for the whole rains retreat. So the monks settled in, uh, but within a short time, they found it unbearable because they felt they were being harassed by earth devas who lived in the forest who did not like the monks taking over their forest. So these spirit beings um, apparently harassed them by um, making them see various hallucinations with dead bodies and dismembered bodies and all sorts of frightening imagery, which when the monks started to talk about with each other, they realized that this was some, you know, something going on around them and they could not concentrate on their practice. And they were quite frightened. So they returned back to the Buddha, asking for advice and hoping that he would send them to a different forest. He said, no, you must go back to the same forest, but this time with this antidote for protection. And he gave them this discourse of the Metta Sutta as we know it today. The monks went back to the forest and very diligently practiced, followed the Metta Sutta and incorporated that in their uh, Dhamma practice. And apparently one of the stories is that the reason they got into trouble was they were doing Vipassana practice without Metta. And that Metta is very important to, as a lead up to Vipassana. So anyway, they practiced loving kindness, which helped them to overcome their own fears and to be able to concentrate and practice meditation. And all 500 bhikkhus became enlightened. And the thing is that because of their practice and the goodwill, it placated the earth devas to be at ease. And in turn, they started to look after the monks. So this is a lovely turnaround of events. And so to this day, like uh, in Sri Lanka, um, Karani Metta Sutta is very popular and people chant, you know, if you're frightened, you chant this. I mean, whatever the reason you chant it, but certainly if you're frightened um, and can't sleep, you chant this. So that was the origin of the Metta Sutta. 
Um, now, I'm going to break it down into bits. Um, so I'll first start by uh, quoting from uh, the Sutanipata that uh, translated by um, Tanisa Rubiku. And he says, with this goodwill practice, firstly, this sutta gives the practice of practices that form the foundation for the practice of metta. So the whole first part leads you through the foundation requirements for developing goodwill. Then you come to the next part, which defines and the attitude of universal goodwill itself, and a few steps of how to bring that into being. So we go to that middle part. And then we have the um, final sort of stanzas, which show you the development of this unbounded goodwill, but also how it then leads to awakening. So a bit like the Eightfold Path, this is you go through Sila, then you go through Samadhi, and then you come to come to Panya. So uh, this structure will become apparent. Probably some of you already know this, but I'm going to break it down and go through bit by bit. Um, the only difference between this and the Eightfold Path, really, is that the metta, the final stanza tells you that with the awakening, of course, you will not be born again into this world. However, what it doesn't say is that you have escaped samsara, because you haven't. There is another step. If it doesn't happen in this life, then it will happen in the Brahma world. But so the end of the Metta Sutta takes you all the way to the step before Arahant, basically. Right? So let's start. Um, now, I didn't realize this, but the discourse, you know, the, where it starts, this is what should be done by one who's skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. And it outlines um, the conditions that are conducive to developing these 15 qualities. I didn't know there were 15, so I went and counted. I tried to count each of the qualities that's uh, in the sutta. And I think depending on some of the phrases, it does add up to 15. Um, so you have things like, let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So all of these qualities have to be developed. I um, highlighted speech because I thought this kind of is because we do it so much in our daily lives this looks like a nice little um, point to focus on to develop that mindfulness of speech the gentleness in speech 
um, as part of the developing of the Metta foundations, you know, the qualities. Um, and then in a slightly later section, it also says what to avoid developing, which is let none deceive another or despise any beings in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So that's what not to do. Then we come to this bit in between the meditative development. So first, there is an intentional wish that facilitates this generation of metta, goodwill. And here it says, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. So that's your finding other statement which leads you into the goodwill part. And of course, ends also by saying, may all beings be at ease. So here we have a means now for developing the meditational objects. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, the medium, short or small, the seen, the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. So here we have all the objects of meditation. Well, there's more, of course, but some listed for us. Then we go further. Now to radiating more widely this quality, which is really a challenge for us to expand our capacity for goodwill. So it starts, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Now here we have a little bit of controversy again with the Tanisaru Bhikkhu saying that this metaphor, which is normally translated as the parallel for our um, uh, boundless heart towards all beings, he says, no, this protection of her only child, he says, is more the protection of this quality itself, this goodwill, this metta, has to be protected like a mother would protect her only child. And he gives examples of the Buddha in his life when he was being um, various people perpetrated, you know, over the Jataka stories, his previous lives, uh, harm upon him, you know, cutting him into bits and, you know, limbs severed and all sorts of things. But the one thing he treasured was that he would not allow anger to arise to any of these people. And that was what was important, that, that anger should not arise. So he protected this metta. Um, so now with this goodwill that you're creating, you practice radiating it over the entire world. So we have radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies 
and downwards to the depths, across and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. So we are practicing increasing this capacity to have this boundless goodwill. And then we come to the divine abidings, to the Brahma Vihara, which is whether standing or walking up, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. So this is the Brahma Vihara you can experience here and now, if this practice is cultivated in this way. And then we come to the very final stanza, which is, by not holding two false views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desire, is not born again into this world. So here we have the right view, not holding to wrong views, clarity of vision, that is the insight of um, liberation, free from craving, not going to be born again into this world. So this is the um, the way to go that is in this discourse on loving kindness. Um, okay, I think that's that's um, that's next time's talk. So I'll just zip that back down. So I don't know whether anyone wants to ask any questions or make any comments in the next couple of five minutes or so before we go into an actual practice of metta meditation. And let me just stop sharing. Okay. This is Martha. I do have a question. If you could, uh, what was that part about going into being awakened? Did you say one could get awakened and yet still experience samsara no what was it um, yeah okay yeah this this sutta gives you the guidance up to the point of, of um let me just think anagami this is the third stage of enlightenment right it does not take you to the fourth stage of enlightenment the final liberation so Unless you practice it in this life and you do attain to that uh, final state of liberation, then it is the end of samsara for you, for that process that is you. So, uh, but if you die without having progressed to that final stage of enlightenment, then your enlightenment will take place in the Brahma realm. You won't be coming back to this world, you will not be born in a womb but you will exist in a different plane until enlightenment and it will be the Brahma realm because of this practice. Thank you. Okay.
Gita, if you're happy, it's around time for leading into the meditation, if you would like. Yes, okay. So, um, I'll do a, a sort of a usual kind of um, guiding through the posture, relaxation, present moment awareness, and then lead into metta practice per se. And I'm only going to do metta directed at oneself primarily today because um, I think people who teach this um, a lot tell us that we have to practice loving kindness towards ourselves and kind of really get familiar and comfortable with that before we try to challenge our um, capacity to expand it further. So I'll follow those instructions. I think Sky could correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be how people like Sharon Salzberg talk about developing metta, right? So we'll do that. And only briefly towards the end, I will bring the notion of metta towards all beings and ourselves, those who are in this gathering today. So mainly it's going to be towards oneself. Um, and um, yeah, we can talk about, about things that arise later. So if you want to stretch and get into a comfortable posture, um, being relaxed seems to be very important when you're do, doing um, metta meditation, as with any meditation. So when you've got yourself into a comfortable position on a chair or your cushion with your back, your spine supporting yourself erect but not stiff. So you're in a nice balanced posture. with your eyes gently closed or slightly open. Hands resting on your lap. And now gently bringing attention to the body. Starting at the top of your head, moving the attention, awareness over your forehead and over your face, releasing any tension. We hold tension around the jaw. So let go of any tension there. And if you have a 
sort of a half smile which seems to relax your facial muscles. Then moving your attention to the throat and the neck, easing any tension. Moving your attention to the upper back, down to the lower back, easing any tension. Gently bring your attention to the front of your body, to the heart area, center of your chest. Releasing any tightness. Letting the area soften. You may notice movement with breathing in. And breathing out. If you note any warmth in that area, just make a mental note of that. And Take your attention now to the abdomen, releasing any tension. And down to the pelvis, releasing any tension. Pay attention to the buttocks and the pressure of contact between the buttock and the cushion. Noticing the touch sensation 
experienced in, experienced in the present moment. Moving your attention now to your thighs, releasing any tension. Down to your calves, releasing any tension. And to your feet, notice the touch between your feet and the floor. The body sitting at ease. Let go of the past and the future for the next little while. To be able to experience this present moment. You might experience sounds in your room or outside arising and passing away.
you may notice the experience of touch, your clothes on the body, or your buttons on the seat, or feet on the ground. Just notice touch. You might become aware of the movements as you breathe in and breathe out. Breathing in, breathing out. Now let's gently turn our attention to Mitta. See if you can connect with these words or your own to generate a feeling of Mitta, goodwill to yourself. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be peaceful.
mais un est baissé. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well.
May I be happy. May I be peaceful. Just as I wish to be safe, well, happy, and peaceful, so do all other living beings. Knowing that may all beings be safe. May all beings be well. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. May all beings 
Amen. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be safe. May all beings be well. May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all of us gathered here in this session generate goodwill. May we all be safe. May we all be well. May we all be happy. May we all be at peace.
Sukino va kemino hontu sabbe satta bhavanta sukitatta. May all beings be at peace. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Thank you, Peter. A beautiful moment of peace. Thank you. May I ask a question? Certainly. Okay. I'm trying to take the eye out of things, you know, my actions and all of that, but it's I know it's important to have meta for myself before I can send it to anyone else. So could you elaborate on that a little bit? Thank you. It was a wonderful meditation. So in this situation, the, we are not trying to build the eye into, um, I think you're, you're concerned about reinforcing that ego identity by saying, may I be happy, may I be. Um, it's, so that is not the intention. The intention is for... Um, discovering or developing uh, metta. And as the Buddha says, the dearest person on this in this life is this one, this one. So we start with the dearest because that would be logically the easiest object to which that feeling can be aroused 
So we're just looking for an object that will arouse that feeling of goodwill. So this being the dearest, the nearest and the dearest, we use this object as the focus for arousing goodwill. As that becomes a little bit more um, developed, because initially we find a lot of people find metta difficult because you say, oh, we're just relating, just repeating these phrases. It just kind of doesn't really touch me. These are just words. So we keep doing it though, because the words will slowly have an impact on your thinking, right? And then at some point, th there arises that feeling of metta without necessarily even having to use any object. But when a feeling starts to arise, then you are ready to extend your capacity for goodwill. So then you start to use other objects like someone who you have a lot of respect for, someone who generates a sense of warmth and goodwill in your heart, but not sexual attraction or uh, possessive kind of feelings. Uh, you avoid those subjects. You know, they're there in your life, but not for this exercise. So then you're extending that feeling towards by using another object. As you get good with the respected dear one, then you can move to a slightly further kind of a dear person, but not perhaps quite so close. If that also increases your capacity, then you can go to a neutral person and have the same, see if the same feeling can be aroused. Now there's a warning that until you get to at least that far, not to use persons that are um, unfriendly or your enemies or however you want to put them. Because you then can um, just fall into the ill will trap rather than being able to generate goodwill. So you, you kind of have to strengthen your capacity before you extend to the more difficult objects. And so that's that would be how I deal with that question. So it's not about building the ego, it's about building this capacity and using the objects that will help you to do that and then feel it. And then at some point you don't need any object, the feeling just arises. You know, it, whereas now I might say somebody and ill will arises, it won't arise. It will be this other quality that just because this is another being. Thank you. Hmm. Is there anyone else who would like to unmute, uh, make a comment, or ask a question? I would like to ask a question. Okay, Gloria. Thank you. Um, yes, like um, the first time I read the sutta that the Buddha said about like um, even if 
someone saw you limb by limb, if a slice, like like a slightly kind of hatred arise in your heart, then you are not following my practice. And the first yeah. time I saw that, I'm like, that's very high. Standard. The standard is a bit too high, like in general. And I think hatred is like also, I didn't realize that, but just like when I was practicing, I always think that I kind of hate myself. Like, but then I realized that I'm not really, I hate myself to a certain extent, but that's not really the case because. I hate the per. I hate the people that hurt me, and I think they hurt me because they hate me. And I think a large part of my hatred is kind of like a mirror, like because they hate me, then I have to hate them back. And then I'm, I think I'm kind of like afraid to let go of the hatred because, like, I don't know, I don't know what they will do to me. Or like, even if it's a long time ago, and then I was like, um, like letting go of the hatred is kind of like scary for me. And I, but I kind of like, I want to resolve this. I always think that I can, maybe I can resolve it by, like, bypassing those people who hurt me. But I can, I, I don't think I can do that. And that's why I like. I would like to ask, like, how to resolve the hatred in general, like, maybe gradually. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, when you're talking about these people who have hurt you in certain some ways, and that you can't let go of that hate yourself, right? Um, it's almost like it's you might feel as if it's somehow protecting you, being able to still hate them, you know, some kind of a strength in that. But what the Buddha is teaching is actually that, uh, no, that's not the strength. The strength is in the goodwill. And also, you cannot jump to developing goodwill to those people who you have such negative history with. You have to start with you or someone kind of that you can generate genuinely generate goodwill towards because that those other people, that's too big a step. You have to take this little step first and really build that up before you can challenge your goodwill capacity towards people who you uh, find it so difficult to even think about. So it's it's building, resolving that by starting from um, the easier objects of goodwill. Yes, but like in my case, I think I feel like if I try to have matter on myself, it will instantly trigger like the feeling I don't know I don't know it's like a mess and then I will like oh I don't know but I cannot just like take them out of the equation and then just have matter on myself yeah. because yeah. I don't know how to say but like 
I feel like they are part of me. They're all kind of em embedded in you, the way you think yes. of you, they're embedded. So you you may actually have to do what someone I knew did, which was to extend metta to their puppy, to their dog, you know, something that's kind of not even human. Um, or it's somehow not connected with that past trauma. Very difficult to use yourself because of that. I, I can understand that. And for those people, you have to, um, even you are one of the difficult objects. So you have to find something that is not going to trigger all that baggage. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'll just turn to Sky and ask her if she wants to add any comments because she's got experience working with IMS where they do uh, talk about this quite a lot, teach this. Sky, do you want to say anything to Gloria's problem of the... No, I think I think you're right to either um, send it to some um, other being that you automatically feel love for so that um, as soon as you think of whether it is a dog or whether it is someone special in your life, the heart naturally opens. And when it opens, then you can touch into that experience. So finding someone like that or another object or another animal can be really helpful. And I think the other key thing would be to find the right words for you. And sometimes it could be something like, may you be safe and protected. You know, that you're using that safe, Gita, and I think that's a lovely thing, that word. So finding the words that work for you may be completely personal. I found a lot of people have spent a long time thinking about which words would they use in their meta practice that really resonated with their heart. Yeah, so that's all I would say for that. Mm. Yeah, that's thanks. Yes, thank you, Gloria, and thank you, Sky. Uh, is there, I have a comment in the chat. Could I read it for you, Gita? Yes. Chris, and it's thanks. a question too, so just one moment. Uh, Chris, I would like to ask Gita, what is the right definition of self-love and what methods can we do to love ourselves and to forgive our past mistakes. Mm. Yeah. Um, Self-love is not the narcissistic um, investment that sometimes we come across and perhaps we all have a little love. Um, that is not the metta-love. Um, it's more about valuing the fact that like every being, this being wants to, seeks to be loved, protected, have peace. So we are developing an empathy towards all beings because this is what all beings require. So it might start looking like self-love, but it is the love to all beings that we're talking about. And 
the and the Buddha says something. I I can't put my hands on it right now, but that self love is the true self love is this metta towards the self, um, the kindness and the um, how does he put it? Uh, that one, there is no one so dear as oneself, and to value that, respect that, in that kindness and in that metta way, that is the true love for the self, for oneself. So I think. Um, sometimes you see, oh, that's very selfish. You know, you're you're developing this love for yourself, and it's hard to get across that that is different. This is not about um, about a selfish love. It's a capacity to develop this uh, kind of unselfish love that then is felt not just to this one, but to all. Um, and what was the second part of that question? Not that I've answered the first part well, but what's the second part? Uh, the second part is, what methods can we do to love ourselves and to forgive, forgive our past mistakes? Um, Um, I'm just trying to think about forgiveness because there are certainly practices which we use for forgiveness. Um, and it, it, the, some of the formats we use, say, in the monasteries, um, we ask for forgiveness for things that I may have thought, said, or done, knowingly or unknowingly, that may have hurt you. I ask your forgiveness for that. Now, this may be done in real time, or it might be done as a meditation. And the same way I seek your forgiveness, uh, sorry, I give you, I forgive you for what you may have knowingly or unknowingly thought, said, or done that would hurt me. So this can be done, as I said, in person. And quite often when you leave a monastery after a retreat, you would go through this um, process. So we can do that, shift that into here. We are talking about our own past mistakes or deliberate actions um, where you're doing that same forgiveness process or thinking or that reflection within here. Um, I find that difficult sometimes in myself when I look back and I think there are certain things that I did when I was working which I could have done better um, that may not have been ultimately had the result for that person that I would have wished. But, um, and I, so it's sometimes you get stuck with this record of 
I sh- could have done this way or that way or and then have then I recognize okay I need this is the past now I'm generating more negativity in this present moment around this past issue that has happened it's gone but I can still forgive myself that I did what I did at that time into the best of my ability, even though it didn't work out properly. And then it's a case of, may I be, then it's a case of generating some metta. So there's forgiveness and metta. Um, I think that my answer to those two questions are a bit clumsy, and I'm quite happy if Sky would like to elaborate the forgiveness part that um, we can get really stuck on sometimes with regret and remorse. And this is all all the negative emotions the Buddha says you can use metta because metta is about um, the antidote to aversion. And that can be irritation, depression, remorse, self-blame, all these negativities. He says we can use metta for that. But I wonder if there's anything more specific about forgiveness practices for this person's question. Yeah. Guy, would you like to unmute? Can't hear you, Sky. Yeah, Sky. yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Sky. Um yeah, I think you described that wonderfully about the forgiveness I think that's a really helpful thing to do and the only thing I was thinking of as well was when you were showing the Brahma Viharas and the four different types sometimes when we're doing metta um, we can bring in equanimity as well and so the words of equanimity can be very helpful when we get caught Um, sometimes instead of trying if you're feeling incredibly Um, remorseful or feeling deep regret about something perhaps even just to stop the matter for a little while and just to come back to being aware of what the experiences are I'm sitting here now and I'm just remembering these things and touching into the feelings of that and then when that's passed then going back to the matter and sometimes just to bring in those phrases of equanimity can be very helpful Um, this is how it is right now much as I want it to be different this is just what's happening this is what's coming up right now for me or um, each of us are owners of our karma and so those sort of things can be very helpful to bring into balance the meta when we feel overwhelmed by something I don't know if that's helpful but just a couple of things I thought of Um, Peter, the words that I've heard recently, uh, may I do no harm to myself and others. And I think this is also encompassing what may be what you're saying. Would you like to comment? Um, May I do no harm to others or myself. Yeah, it's it's a bit tied in with this, may I be safe, but it's kind of the other side somehow. Um, in, in the traditional metta reflection, 
we start by saying, may I be free from enmity. And that kind of cuts both ways, enmity towards you or your enmity and therefore my vulnerability from that. So not that enmity, may I be free from enmity, is to be free from me generating enmity or others generating enmity towards me. So that's the first line of that um, chant, may I be free from enmity, then may I be free from troubles of mind, troubles of body, may I be able to live at ease. So that's the traditional chant which starts with may I be free from enmity. And as I said, it's enmity towards others and others enmity to me. Um, that kind of roughly touches on that point. Um, Beautifully touches on that point, Gita. Thank you very much. And are there be others who've been doing, Catherine, for example, you've been doing quite a bit of retreat work with these sorts of things. I'm wondering if you can add to what's, what's being said, Catherine? Um, I, I just wanted to first say uh, I really feel Gloria's um, comment on it's such a high bar. Um, meta, real meta is such a high bar. And so, you know, at each little step we get just a little bit closer, a little bit closer, but it's it's enormous. That one drop of meta is still an amazing um, achievement. One of the things I was thinking about with that question of forgiveness is that within, within Buddhism, the human realm is a realm of suffering. That's the human realm. And the human mind is one which has defilements until they are um, overcome. So we will all, everybody will act in ways that are characterised at times by greed, hatred, delusion, etc. Um, so maybe when we're thinking of how difficult it is to forgive ourselves, just to remember that aspect of universality of um, human experience. Whoever wrote that, we're all in the same boat. Um, and when we um, can bring that kindness to ourselves, my sense is it's so tied up to um, being able to then bring kindness to others as well. So that forgiveness to self, forgiveness to others, you know, the relationship between the um, qualities that we're, we're generating flow in all directions. And so there's a real benefit in um, seeking to bring some understanding and kindness for our past imperfections. And I was just talking to a friend today about my own past imperfections too. Um, so one that's been coming up and really in the mind as well, you know, what do I do about this? And, and we were talking about forgiveness today. Um, this is part of being a human being. Uh, so just that human, the, the common humanity of the predicament we're in, I think, um, is the thing I was thinking of. Takes a bit of humility. <laughs> hmm. Thank you. Is any, would anybody else like to unmute and comment or ask a further question? 
Yes, I have a question. Thank you very much, Kita. It was a wonderful meditation. Um, I was wondering because I heard you say that when you practiced at, at the beginning, you thought that meta meditation was not, I don't know if it, you said interesting or you didn't feel uh, it was uh, something that you you enjoy doing, but now it's changed. So I was wondering if if something happened that made you change your mind or if uh, because you practiced a lot of meta meditation at some time at the end you you got the the results. So that's that's my question. Um yeah I th I just had this strange notion that somehow Anapana is the way to go, forget the metta, forget everything else, you know, this kind of attitude, which I didn't even realize how 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 tightly I held that. But um, at some point in the last few years, I realized that there was some not something that was not balanced in my practice. And it was this wasn't this a certain degree of softness and kindness and that kind of thinking I felt wasn't really there. And so I felt that, okay, maybe I have to balance. This is the time now I have to look to metta meditation. And I started to look at it with the intention of actually doing something with it rather than kind of dismissing it. So I think that was the first thing. The intention was different. I was trying to learn from it to develop my practice. Then um, I had a few short spells where I actually put it into practice with some guidance and I noticed just with practicing it for two three weeks how the thinking started to change suddenly the goodwill thoughts were just kind of popping in without looking for it and I noticed that and and sometimes I could feel this inner happiness coming through and I would think oh why is that and I kind of put the two and two together and I sort of realized, okay, this metta is some doing some softening here. Um, and my concentration when I sat down to do the Anapana was better. So I realized that it was actually helpful. So then I kept, that, that's what made me keep going with it. And in fact, I was going to bring the challenge, uh, extend skies. Uh, suggestion last time of the three-minute meditations, I was going to say, why not do the three-minute metta and see between now and next Tuesday whether you can actually even sense a little bit of some little thing sprouting, you know? So, uh, yeah, so I wanted to look into it genuinely, yeah, and that's what made the difference, yeah. Uh, in my teaching today, I practice loving kindness and metta towards myself firstly and then towards my students. It's beautiful, created a beautiful atmosphere in the classroom. Actually, I can give you a little story quickly of someone I know, um, a school teacher. She's just starting primary school and she had to go uh, quite a distance, Port Headland, which is a thousand miles or something away from Perth. And I didn't know what to give her to take as a little gift. 
So I drew this metta card and I just said, may I be well, happy and peaceful, may no harm come to me. Then you turn the card the other side and it's got all the other options. May my parents, may my friends, may my teachers, may my dear oh, you know, the whole lot, and then all beings. So she just had this little card, which she kept in her purse and didn't, of course, look at it for some time. Then something happened in the classroom where she had this term started as a little boy who was really very difficult, always critical. There was always something wrong. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to play with him. It was terrible. And she started to get headaches before she went into the class. So that's when she thought, no, I have to do something because I'm stressed before I get into the class. So then she found this card and started doing it every morning. She said, just for 10 minutes, that's all. And the headache started to go down. But what's more, she kept going. And then she noticed the little boy was coming up to her and say, hello, miss, good morning. And she sort of, whoa, you know. This started to happen a few more times. And then she noticed the other kids were including him in their play. And so he was becoming much more, you know, accepted because he wasn't being nasty and negative and he was starting to learn better. So and at the end of the school, she he wrote a little card, labored handwriting, thank you, miss, I really enjoyed school this year and so on. And so she was reflecting on this. And so all that she was trying to do was make herself more open, more relaxed, less uptight. But it had this unprofessional, unseen effect so it does radiate even if you don't set out to somehow this removing that obstruction that's sitting here uh, helps things to change so so I I was a very definite no 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 you can't radiate method that's nonsense type of person and then I started to hear stories like this and I'm thinking mm, I might have to reverse my opinion on this, that it does have a flow-on effect. And I asked one monk who was visiting, what did he think about this, whether it's a bit of imagination, this radiation business, as opposed to the fact that we are training ourselves. And he said, no, if you think in terms of yourself as a little globe, little bulb, few watts, and it's only radiating a tiny bit of light, which is different to someone who's practiced and is a like the Buddha, radiating like the sun or the moon. So it does depend on the strength of this capacity as to your range of influence, probably. So I thought, okay, I'm still a little bald. I'll do my bit. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad for your students, too. Thank you. And um, you're a radiant bug. <laughs> 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 Definitely very radiant this evening, Gita. Thank you very, very much. Uh, would you like to leave us with some words? Um, yes. Um, straight from the Metta Sutta, what else? And that is in Pali. It's that verse which says, May all beings be happy and secure, may all beings have happy minds. Sukino va kemino hontu, sabbe satta, bavantu sukitatta.